trust everyone got a bulletin this morning. Just a, a not going to rehearse all the announcements. Just wanted to um, mention that uh, through the week we had a chance to uh, have some further discussion about children and family ministry. And so just want to let you know that that's a work in progress. So please continue to pray for that. We had a, a Skype or a Facebook meeting with uh, a lady by the name of Jenny Baker of the Maritimes and um, concerning King Ca- uh, King's Castle Ministries. And uh, you'll, you'll probably hear a little bit about that down the road. Uh, but of course, we're working on our family Sunday, first of all, because we want to, uh, we want to be able to be sure that Maple Street Worship Center is an intergenerational church, values the next generation. How many know that the next generation of, of, of leaders, church leaders, are presently in our children's church and in our Sunday school programs in our churches right now? How many know that to be true? And um, so there's a huge responsibility. We, I had a privilege with my wife and I to go to the Vanguard College uh, graduation on the 30th of April, Sunday night. And it was fantastic to see such a large graduating class. But how many understand that that class, those, those lives that were there dedicating themselves to the service of the Lord and the service of the church, were there because of the impact of their own local church and the folks that were a part of their lives. And so how many know it's a, it's a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility to pass on and impart. It's really a ministry of impartation that we can impart to the next generation, uh, the truths of God's word and what Jesus wants to do in their lives. And so we have a great responsibility. And uh, it's, it can be, at times, a daunting task and hard work. But it's worth it. Amen? It's worth it. And we want to be part of what God is doing in young lives as they shape, as their lives are shaped for the future. Just a couple of things. Not going to recap uh, all the stuff that's going on in terms of uh, through the week. Uh, typically, they're on the slides. But just to, uh, of course, a reminder that uh, Mother's Day is next weekend, right? It's next week. Mother's Day. So don't miss Mother's Day, all the mothers. We want to celebrate you. And uh, I have a wife who's a mother and uh, a mother-in-law that's here and a mom in Nova Scotia. And uh, we want to, and grandmothers too. I got a grandmother who is on her way to 100 years of age and uh, she's still going went and visited her one time and she said uh, I, I walked into her living room before we had left and, I, and I, she said I said what are you doing? She's sitting on the couch and she said oh I'm just reading a book about Moses and I think she's 96 years old still going, still going strong and so we want to honor the mothers and of course coming up at the end of the month we have Pastor Dave Hall who is presently acting as our district superintendent of the uh, Alberta District, Alberta Northwest Territories District. He'll be here with us as well as he takes out his power tools and uh, he, he bolts us in a little tighter, calling it an installation service. You kind of feel like you're some kind of a cabinet in someone's kitchen. So uh, don't forget that at the end of the, of the month. And uh, so the, just a few announcements there just to remind us. So if we could turn our Bible this morning or we can even put it on the screen I want to just share, I think we got it there, yeah, that's okay, we got it, it, starting at verse 12, 
I actually got it right into the slideshow. If you want to, is that usable? A new, and it won't, it won't work? Wow. That's okay then. We'll, we'll have to work with the Proclaim, try to get that straightened out. So there you go. Technology works. I can show you the slideshow after the service. No. I even had a picture of Mark Twain in there. Angel's going to see. It's at, uh, starting at verse 12. Verse 12 right down to verse 16. Uh, ver- chapter 2. Chapter 2. Philippians. <laughs> we'll get there. That's okay. See, Ryan, you just made me very relaxed. So this morning I just want to talk about the ins and outs, the ins and outs of Christian living. And uh, this morning, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 16. And uh, if they get it on the screen, that's fantastic. I'll, I'll start to read it anyway. Paul writes, he says, therefore. How many know that whenever you see a therefore, you ask the question, what is it there for? Right? My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, he says, Paul writing, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fall in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Lord, once again, we just ask your blessing on your word today. And we ask that you would apply it to our hearts and lives individually, corporately. Help us to work these things out, Lord. Do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So pretend there's a slide with Mark Twain's picture and a quote from Mark Twain. I did take some time to look him up on Google to get that nice black and white picture, but that's okay. And he made a statement like this. He said, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Anybody ever find that to be true? That when you look at somebody and they've done something really well, and it's a really good example, and you feel like, man, how come they can get it and I can't? I remember that very fact, that very experience. I remember when I was a kid, and we used to go camping. We used to go to Kejimakujik National Park in Nova Scotia. And later on, we went to a camp, a little smaller campground called Lakeview Campground. And it was there that I met this young guy, probably about 10, 10 years old or so, 10, 11 years old. His name was David Waugh. David Waugh. And David Waugh was exactly an annoyance. He was the annoyance of a good example. It, you know, he was this guy who, you know, he was this 11-year-old kid, brown-haired. He was really happy-go-lucky. He was always smiling, this kid from New Brunswick. And it really seemed like he had stepped right out of an episode of Leave it to Beaver. He was clean-cut. And when he spoke, every other word seemed like it was polite. It really aggravated me. It really did. 
you thought that he swallowed an etiquette book. It was pardon me. Excuse me. Please and thank you. May I? Like, what is wrong with you? You're 11 years old. It was, and this is, this is the worst part. Mr. Williams, he called my father. Mrs. Williams. I'm like, this kid is off of some strange planet somewhere. And the problem was this, is that he was annoying me. He was annoying me because he had, because of his example. But see, well, here's what happened. As I got to know him, my annoyance began to turn into admiration. Because really what he was doing was what my father always taught, and that was when they would tell you to, what, mind your manners. And so that's exactly what he was doing. He was minding his manners, and it was driving me and other people crazy. Because you just didn't do that when you're 11 years old. But guess what? In my observance of David Waugh and his stellar manners and etiquette, I began to try that stuff out. Please, thank you, may I? And guess what? It worked. It worked. So here he was, a good example, a good example of what it was like to have good manners. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at an example. Not a good example, but we looked at a great example. And that great example was not of manners, but of attitude. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago or so, that we examined and we looked at Jesus and Paul talked about the attitudes that we should desire to have because we are followers of Jesus. And he helped us to see four characteristics, four things that we find about Christ's attitude. And that was, first of all, that of selflessness, of servanthood, of sacrifice, and submission. And of course, we looked at those things, but... One of the things is, is how in the world do you get those things working for you? I always ask the question, you know, it's, it's not just, we don't just need to know the what. We don't just need to know the why, but we, we also need to look at the how. How do we get some of these things moving in our lives? How do we put these, because these are, lo- how many would agree that this is, this is a, a lofty ideal? This is something to really to shoot for. And how many would agree this morning that we don't always get it right? Would you lift your hand with me and say, because I'm lifting my hand, I'm making an admission here. We don't always get this right. But Paul brings out a couple things, and I just want to look at a couple things this morning. Because in the, in the, previous, in the previous 11 verses, Paul sets out a, a divine pattern. A divine pattern for the attitude of Christ. But if you look at verse 12 this morning... Paul says this again. He says, therefore, my dear friends, in in other words, in the light of Christ's attitude, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to, he says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I always used to think that meant that I had to work for my salvation. Work out your salvation. Work, no, that's not what it has to do with. It's not to work for your salvation. Because these people that Paul is writing to, they're already believers. 
They're already Christians. In fact, Paul addresses them in the very first verse of the letter. He calls them saints. They're holy ones. They've been called out. They're a part of the church. Christ has already set them apart. They're already in. But here's the idea. The idea is that you were to work it out to full completion. Work it out to full completion. It reminds me of mathematics in high school. Anybody remember mathematics in high school? Some of you are still there. Hopefully you won't be there a long, long time. But we had a teacher's name was Mr. Anderson, and you know what he did not want us to do? He did not want us to write out the problem and then write out the answer. He wanted us to write out the problem and then take the next page, step by step by step, and he wanted us to work the problem out. So every step. So in other words, when you get to your answer, I want to see how in the world you got there. How did you arrive at your conclusion? So we had to work it out by completion. And you see, in Paul's day, that was also, that, that phrase or that idea is also used for working a mine. In other words, to get out of the mine all of the valuable gems that are possible. Or like working a field to get the greatest harvest. How many understand this morning that there are three aspects to our salvation? That we are saved. Did you know that? We are saved. In other words, Paul says that we are justified. That's the theological word. We're justified. In other words, just as though you've never sinned. When we come to Jesus and we ask him to forgive us and we repent, we turn away from it, he justifies us. He says, you're innocent. Yes, these are all the charges, these are all the sins, and we know that there's that song, you know, the old account was large and growing every day, and I was always sinning and never tried to pay. The old hymn there, right? You know that hymn? Who knows that hymn? Just so we know we're on the same page. But Jesus took care of all that. In the courtroom of heaven, because we repented and because we trusted in what he has done for us, how many understand that though your sins be as scarlet, they are white as snow, you are acquitted. You are innocent. You're justified. The other thing is you are being saved. And that's a process. You're you're sanctified. You've been set apart wholly as an instrument for God. But you are also being sanctified. It's a journey. You're, You're in process. Hopefully we're getting a little more like becoming more like Christ a little bit more every day. And then the final thing is that you will be saved. There's going to come a time. When Jesus is going to come back for his church. And guess what? How many know we're going to get our salvation in full? We're going to, get, we're going to be glorified. So sanctified, justified, sanctified, glorified. And it's the same way as the Christians at Philippi. They were saved. They were saints. They were in process. And they were on their way. But how many know it's in this middle ground? It's in this middle ground in the here and the now that we're working out our salvation. We are being, we are in process. We are being sanctified. And the goal is that God has us on the potter's wheel shaping us. He's pruning us. He's shaping us into who he wants us to become. And so here's what Paul says in the first part of that purpose. 
You see, there is a purpose to achieve. That's the first point. There's a purpose. God has is, is got something in mind here. And here's what he says in verse 15, 14 and 15. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Anybody ever complain or argue? Thank you. But look what he says in verse 15. So that, so do everything without complaining or grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe. No complaining. No arguing. Because here's the deal. The deal is when you do, it reflects your attitude. It reflects your heart. Jesus said that whatever comes out of the, it's, it's, it's what comes out of our heart that makes us unclean. You'll know what's in a person's heart by the things that they say, the attitude that they have, the motivations, and so on. And here's the issue. The issue is that our, is that our outlook determines our outcome. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've found myself at times grumbling and complaining. I admit that. I've done that. I remember going to church. I've been playing music since I've been five, and I used to go to church, and here's what would happen. I would sit in the, in the pew in my home church, and I would criticize in my head the music. Yeah. They missed a minor in that song right there. Someone's off key. The timing isn't right. And the list would continue. And then there was time when the pastor would preach. And I would analyze his sermons. And I'm thinking, what in the world is he saying here? This has absolutely nothing to do with the text. This is horrible exegesis. Yeah. And you would, you would, this is what I would do. This is what I would do. And, and so in my mind, I'm criticizing the music. I'm criticizing the pastor's sermon. What do you think happened when I was going home? It's like, what in the world were you even there for? How is that going to edify you? How is that going to build you up? And I say all that because I sat in church all morning only to become miserable. It was, I, was, I was worse off than when I went. And here's the issue. It was because my outlook determined the outcome. That's where I was. It wasn't a good spot. I knew a man in, our, in one of our former churches, and, and he, he had a similar posture. I got a call every week, Monday morning, my day off, 8.30. Hey, Steve, you want to go to Tim Hortons? We'll get a double-double. That's how he always baited me in. So I would go, and I would, he would pick me up, and we'd go in the car, and he'd take a drive. We'd go to Tim's, we, and he'd get me a medium double-double. And we sit in the car, and for two hours, what I heard was complaining and grumbling. Same stuff. Those young people, that young guy was wearing a hat on the platform when he played the bass guitar. The, le- the, the worship leader's socks didn't match. And, you know, that song, Amazing Grace, they ruined that when they put that bridge in there. They ruined it. They 
ruined an anointed song. You thought Amazing Grace just was slipped right out of heaven, right into the book. And so I listened as I drank my coffee, and I listened. And I took it all in. And I did absolutely nothing about it. But I listened. And he was still arguing, he was still complaining. But here was the problem. The problem was we, I I understood where he was coming from. I had been there before. And the problem is this, is that when we begin to focus on all the things that aren't right, how many know we get our eyes off of really what God wants to do in our lives? You see, I was going to church and I was picking things apart instead of saying, God, could you speak to me this morning? And here's what happened. It didn't matter who was preaching that morning. It didn't matter who was leading that morning. It didn't matter what the instruments were that morning. It didn't matter if the minor was, wasn't there. It didn't matter if the timing was a little off. Once you begin to make an adjustment in your attitude, once you may come to the conclusion that, you know something, I'm going to go, and here's my attitude. My attitude is this. I am going to go, and I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak into my life today? What adjustment do you want to make? What thing do you want to bring into alignment with your will and your purpose for my life? And do you know what happened when I began to have that attitude? I began to walk away from church a lot more joyful than when I went in. And here's the deal. The deal is, it's because God has a purpose in our lives. But we have to get our attitude adjusted so that he can pour himself into us so that we can walk according to his will and his ways and his purpose. How many understand God has a purpose for your life, but sometimes our attitude, we, our sinfulness, our, our hearts can get in the way? You see, the joy began to come back because Paul told them. And he's saying to us today, do everything about complaining or arguing. Our attitude, our mind is to be like that of Christ. And then he says, you see, if we, if we do that, he says, we will not have the same outlook as the world. And Paul described the world as a crooked and depraved generation. Because if we have that way, if we have that attitude, we won't be able to fulfill the second part, part of the purpose, and it has become what God wants us to become. And Paul says, to become blameless and pure children of God without fault. And he's saying to us, as he did the Philippians, I expect this attitude from the unsaved. I expect the complaining and the grumbling and the arguing and the fighting. And let's go a little bit further now. Let's go a little bit further. Let's take it one step further. How many know that there's times when churches have divisions, there's times when there's gossip, there's times when there's slander, there's times when there's things that are done maliciously. And how many understand that is not God's purpose, that is not the spirit at work. That's when Christians begin to hear the wrong voice and they begin to allow the whispers of the enemy to get their ear to infect their hearts and minds. And so the next thing you know, instead of walking out what God purposes to produce in us and have us to, to grow into, that's when he, the enemy begins to have a field day and begin to tear down your life and to tear down 
the church. Because how many understand we have an enemy who wants to thwart the purposes and the plans of God in your life? Not only in your life, but it will affect your family. It will affect your church. It will affect the community. Enough churches not following God's ways. It will affect the whole nation. Attitude. Attitude. There's a difference. We don't want to be like the world, crooked and perverse, depraved. But instead, Paul is saying, if we follow what Jesus' example shows us, we will shine like light in the darkness. Point two. There's a power to receive. Verse 13. Verse 13. Verse 13. Paul goes on to say, and he says, For it is God. Underscore that. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to your purpose, your good purpose. No, his good purpose. So let's look at that again. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who is working in you. I remember one time I used to have a problem understanding grace because I tried to follow the rules. I didn't realize that I needed God's power at work in me to work this stuff out. Remember, working out your salvation. And there's been people who have tried to say, you know something, here's what we're going to do. To try to get everybody on the same page, we're going to create the rule book and we're going to have all the list of do's and don'ts and make sure everybody checks those do's and don'ts off. But I want you to know, you cannot legislate holiness. I remember there was a young girl in our youth group and her parents had her on a very short leash. She went to school, she went to youth group, she went to conventions, she went to all the churchy stuff, she went to Sunday school. She couldn't date till she was 16, that was the rule. And in fact, from the outside, you'd have thought she was a model Christian. You would have thought, this girl's got it all together. But as soon as she was given freedom, it reminds me that she was not this, but she put me in mind I don't know if you've ever had, we used to have dogs that we had to tie because we wanted them to be safe. But when you let that dog off the chain, they would just run and run and run and run and run and run and run. Around and around and around and around because it was like, freedom! And as soon as this young girl got the opportunity, she ran. She ran the other way. She ran the wrong direction. She stopped going to church. She started living with some guy. And today she's nowhere near serving the Lord. And the reason is simple. It's because sanctification, holiness, godliness, Christ-like character, you can't legislate. You can't force it upon someone. You see, it's not about so much about the do's and the don'ts as it is about the ins and the outs. Say that again. It's not so much about the do's and the don'ts as it is the ins and the outs. You see, God must work in us before he can work through us. So it is God who does the work. God is the one. We need God's grace. 
We need God's power at work in our lives. When I think of that, I think of two things. I don't know if you've ever seen the commercial Gatorade, the Gatorade commercial, where they ask this question, is it in you? The other part was, uh, there was a show called, you, uh, uh, it's called You Are What You Eat. And I found that to be true. My wife took a, a course on, on nutrition, and you really are what you eat. You really are what you eat. And I remember one time I was driving, one time I was driving down the road, and uh, I was thinking of that very show and the title of that show, and I was downing an apple fritter in a double-double from Tim's. And I thought to myself, I am a fruity glob of sugary dough. You are what you eat, right? So if I continue to put that stuff into my body, will I expect to be strong and fit and healthy? Will I be able to win the tug-of-war contest at youth camp? No. Because I'm an apple fritter. Apple fritters don't win tug-of-war competitions. No, instead... You can expect clogged arteries, diabetes, weight gain, fatigue, muscular atrophy, dress pants you can't get into on a Sunday morning. Shirts where, the, where you look down and you notice that the buttons are spreading because other things are spreading. And then you get reminded of it every now and again. But I won't mention who reminds you of it. I'll leave that for you to guess. Here's the point, is that whatever is in you will manifest itself through you. Warren Wearsby one time shared a story of a popular nightclub performer who visited a pastor, and he announced that he had been saved and he wanted to serve the Lord. He said, what should I do next? Well, I'd suggest you unite with a good church and start growing. Is your wife a Christian? No, she's not. The musician replied, I hope to win her, but do I have to wait? I mean, I'd like to do something for God right now. He said, no, you don't have to wait to witness for the Lord. Get busy in church and use your talents for Christ. But you don't know who I am. He said, I'm a big performer. Everybody knows me. I want to start my own organization, make records, and appear before big crowds. He said, if you go too far too fast, you might hurt yourself in your testimony. The place to start winning people is right here at home. God will open up places of service for you as he sees you are ready. Meanwhile, study the Bible and give yourself a chance to grow. And that was his counsel. But the guy didn't take the counsel. Instead, he decided to set up a big organization. He started out on his own. And his success only lasted less than a year. Not only did he lose his testimony because he wasn't strong enough to carry the burdens, but the constant travel alienated him from his family. And he drifted into a fringe group, disappeared from public ministry, and he was a broken and a bankrupt man. And his problem was this, is that his branches went out further than his roots were deep. And here's the thing. We cannot produce selflessness. We cannot become a people willing to serve. We cannot live a sacrificial life. We cannot have a submissive attitude. We can't produce godly compassion and love or a deep burden for the lost or the will and desire to make a significant impact with if the branches of our ministry are further than being deeply rooted in God and God being deeply rooted 
in us. I've seen it over and over where, where people, and this is why I like this right here. This is why I like this. I like this list. This is a great balance of how the Spirit wants to work through you. But what I like about this is that the fruit is higher than the gifts. Because this is what God produces in you. So that when you do this, it'll be of value. And I don't have time to get into this this morning. I will at another point. But you can read it for yourself and you can do the mathematical equations. That if you do this and you don't have that, it ain't much. It ain't much. In fact, it can become destructive. It won't be edifying. In fact, Paul talks about if you don't have love, knowledge will puff you up. You'll become proud. And I've known that there's been people who have this going on. The Corinthians had this going on. But this was their problem. This was missing. No love. This is, God wants to work in you so he can work through you. Make sense? I trust it does this morning. One of the things that we need to be deeper rooted in God is his word. We need it in the personal time. We need it in the church. We need not just to know it. We've got people who can quote scriptures, but we don't live it. And that's the thing. We need to apply it to our lives. Reminds me of the Passover lamb, the blood. It had to be applied to the doorposts for it to take of any effect. Same thing with the word of God. If the word of God is going to change and transform us from the inside out, we have to, we have to apply it to the doorposts of our heart. Prayer. We need to be people of prayer. In Luke 3, we find that Jesus, at Jesus' baptism, it says, and he was praying. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended. Heaven opened when Jesus was praying. Not bad, eh? Luke 9, 28 to, to, to excuse me, 28 to 29 says that Jesus took Peter and John and James with him up onto a mountain to pray. And it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. So it opens up the heaven, but it also transforms you. Acts 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In other words, it got results. So prayer opens up the heavens. It transforms you and it helps us to get the job done. It empowers us. And again, don't miss what Paul was saying. He says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to will and to act. Will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who works. In the Greek, that's from the, where we get the word energy. In other words, it's God's divine energy at work in us and through us. The same spirit that empowered Jesus can and will empower us Empower us to do what? I'm glad you asked. To will, first of all. It means to have the power to make deliberate and conscious choices. The second thing, to act. It means to perform or behave in a certain manner. And here is the thing. It is all for His 
good purpose in our lives. And folks, anything less is, is sin. Because sin really is missing the mark of the best that God wants for you. And what he wants for this assembly. How many would say this morning, I want more of you, Lord, in me so that the world can see more of you through me. Does that sound like a pretty good prayer this morning? We want more of him. We want, Lord, we want your attitude. We want your love, your character, your compassion, your will, your desire, so I can shine like a light in the darkness. Because this world is dark, full of despair and hopelessness. And what it needs to see is people living incarnationally, seeing Jesus through us. And as our hearts are changed, and as we are becoming more like him, then we become a great vessel to be used to bring his kingdom into their lives. And if we could stand this morning as the worship team would come back for a few moments, and we're just going to just want to give us an opportunity to respond to that message before we go into communion. And if you guys could just begin to uh, hit that song, it is the cry of my heart. It is the cry of my heart. We want more of God in us so he can work through us. You know, it's not just about how high we can jump. It's if we walk right when we land. And that really comes down to what's going on between the weekends. And right where you're at, right where you're at, if we could just make an altar and say for the next just just few moments that we are saying, God, here I am. We sang songs of consecration this morning, but here I am. The cry of my heart.
if we allow ourselves to be submitted Paul says therefore therefore it's going to be different and Lord in the name of Jesus I pray you'd help us Lord that we would be able to submit ourselves to the work of the spirit to yield to the spirit's work in our hearts so that the things that we say how we live what we do how we pray It will have weight. It will have power. It will be transformative. And it will be of the right heart and motive. And I pray this morning this church would be a light in this community. I pray, Lord, that just like candles that are lit on a Christmas Eve service, that every one of us will be lit up. We'll be lit up with the heart of God attitude of Jesus that we can dispel the darkness we can dispel the darkness the darkness has to flee demons have to flee the devil has to flee and that others who see the light burning within us would be drawn to its warmth and its beauty Lord I pray that that would happen in my life I pray that it would happen in all of our lives here. That Maple Street Worship Center will be the church, the church that God desires it to become. That we'll be a church growing in love. The fruit of the Spirit. And a church that is growing in the gifts of the Spirit. That God, that we will see and continue to see supernatural things happen in lives that are wrecked, be put back together again. The lost be found. Oh, Lord, I pray that it would happen. It would happen in my life. It would happen in my heart. I pray revival would truly happen. It would begin right here, right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As you work in us, 
work through us, Lord. That we would be yielded today. Thank you, Lord. We would be yielded to you one more time. We would be willing to surrender our lives one more time and say, God, here I am. Work in me for your good will and purpose. To act according to your good will and purpose. Not my will. Not my purposes, but your purpose, Lord. Because you are the king. It is your kingdom. And we are just privileged to be part of that great kingdom that you are putting together, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Praise his name. We could ask the... uh, Frank and his team to come this morning. We're going to move into our communion time. And um, I love that part in Blessed Assurance where it talks about the blood of Jesus. And I'm just wondering if, if we could this morning just move into Blessed Assurance. Thank you, Lord, that you are mine and we are yours have a blessed assurance this morning. You can serve the folks. You go to take your liberty, gentlemen. Thank you. Blessed assurance. And I just want to say, if you're born of his spirit and you're washed in his blood, you're part of the church, and so you're welcome to share in uh, around the table this morning. Blessed
Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask my wife this morning if she would uh, just ask God to bless this portion of our, of our communion. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me and Lord we we pause and we reflect on the blood the blood that it cleanses every stain every sin every spot And Lord, we thank you today that this blood has been applied to our hearts. I think of that song of paid in full by the blood of the Lamb that reads on the page where my sins were written down, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, this morning we thank you that our sins have been atoned for. You have you have. You have covered them over. And because of your forgiveness, because of the pardon, because of our justification, we have a place in your kingdom around the big banquet table that's going to be spread, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Lord, we thank you for that, but we also pray this morning as we celebrate and remember that we will not forget that the fact is you shed this blood, your blood, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others, for the sake of those who are not presently with us. In fact, they're not in any church right now. They're lost. And I pray, Lord, that as we remember the sacrifice you made, indeed, we would lay our lives down. We would, lay, we would have the attitude of Jesus. And we would lay our lives down for others and for you, selfless submission and service. May that be our attitude, Lord, as we remember and as we partake of this cup together. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's drink together. Amen.